following message is from Christian Life Austin. For more information about Christian Life, please visit clcaustin.com. Thank you for listening. All right now. First of all, I want to say to all those that are watching by the internet, we welcome you today. Would you clap your hands for them? Amen. And uh, let, me go, let me go a little bit further on this thing. I've been pastor here for 28 years, and uh, I will tell you that what we're doing, what we're doing with this At The Movie series that is coming up is going to be so special. I would not allow it if it was going to be anything that was going to be outside of spiritual. It's going to be a blessed event. We used to do a, a drama here called The Choice. And every year we did it for six nights, and it was our largest outreach in our whole year. This can be that outreach for our church this year if you'll just understand that it's along the same merit and along the same lines. No, we're not turning this into a movie house. Besides, I don't even like Hollywood. But we are going to teach some wonderful truths from the Word of God And I promise you, if you bring somebody with you, they will be so excited. They'll want to come back for every week of this series, and you're going to be blessed also. Do you trust that? Do you trust that? So I love what we've got out in this foyer. I love it. This church is so proactive and so uh, it's just neat. I would like to say also that it's an honor to pastor the church that has the largest social media uh, reaction of all of Austin. There are two churches outside of Austin, one in Round Rock, one in Georgetown, that are one and two, but we're number three, but number one in the city of Austin, Texas. Pretty neat. So, what we do and what we say is important. So, what we'd like for you to do is go online and say, I like that, I love that, I enjoy that. Just get your little thumbs going and don't be negative, be positive. Just get your thumbs talking, amen, and start talking about the good things of God. I got something good to tell you. Everybody say the number eight. Eight. It's new beginning. New beginning. We are currently grandparents of seven. Yeah. Jaron and Kate are going to give us eight. <laughs> All right, I love my kids. Just thought I'd share that with you. <laughs> in May, uh, it's not a December, baby. It's in May, so we're excited about them. May the 31st, I think, is the due date, and, and I'm, I'm pumped about it. I'm excited. Don't know what it's going to be, but I've got some good names that's in my family. That would be good. And Patty has some great ones in her family. That's probably where the girls will lean because they really do love their mother and they endure their father. (laughs) Would you stand all over the house tonight and just say, thank you, Jesus, Jesus. for a great, great day today. And we love you very, very much. Now, I'm going to speak today. I'm going to speak today to all the people that are listening and all of you folks. You asked for it. Things people are asking. And one of, the, one of the great questions that people are asking is, Pastor, what do I do when I don't know what to do? 
What do I do? Do I punt? Do I walk away? Do I give up? Do I surrender? Do I wave the white flag? Do I say, no mas? What do I do when you don't know what to do? And so I'm going to talk about that today. I'm going to speak on that on this day. And with God's help, we're going to talk to you from our hearts. Turn to somebody and say, I'm going to help the pastor. And you may be seated. And you're the most awesome people in all the world. Amen. You may be seated. I just like you to stand up. That's fun. We're going to be referring to Isaiah chapter 43, verses 1 through 7. And I got to thinking the other day about the almost of life, the almost, about almost tragedies, how things can go from so normal to the absurd in such a short space of time. Everyone in this room can look back at times when in one's life as a car on a slick street or an icy road, your life has careened out of control. It can bring questions about life's purpose, and you know that. Try as we might, some of you have a hard time living life with a sense of purpose. We've been talking about that a lot lately. We walk through life as if we're fighting in Iraq or some of you fighting way back in Vietnam, trying to miss some landmines that hell has put there for, just for us to destroy or to devour us. Taking every trial that comes with life so personal, when some things, folks, are only, would you say it with me, life. They're just life. Just life. Things happen. We have no control over. The rain falls. Amen to that. We did not order it. Storms blow. Storms come and then storms are stilled. Someone stated a long time ago, and I love it, sometimes the Lord steals the storm. And sometimes he steals the soul in the storm. Several years ago, there was a TV show called The Joy of Painting. It was an old laid-back hippie named Bob Ross that was on it. It was on PBS on Saturday morning. And he was a host and he, and he was a tef, he's a definition of laid back. One of his favorite sayings was, there are no mistakes in painting, only happy accidents. So if you accidentally put a blob of orange paint in the middle of a mountain scene, you just incorporate that happy accident into the painting and make part of that mountain orange. As you attempt to make your life a masterpiece, you, you will find that there are many accidents some are happy and some are not. Sometimes you feel your life is hydroplaning. Life has some slick roads. Amen. Everything will seem fine and then suddenly spin out of control. Only it lasts much longer than a few seconds. And so some orange will end up on your canvas that you never intended to be there. Someone close to you dies. Your health begins to falter. You don't see as well as you used to see. A relationship unravels. A job situation becomes unstable. You become a victim of someone's mistreatment. The doctor report is no good. That friendship that you thought was solid just kind of blew away with the wind. And as a song says, and the wheels go round, the wheels go round. And you're trying to make, it, make your life right. 
There's a, there's a Bible story in Jeremiah chapter 18 about a potter. And some of you feel like you're on the potter's wheel and all you're doing is just spinning. And the same things are coming back around in your life. And you can't get off the spinning wheel. And when that happens, we ask, what should I do? And many people have two options. Number one is give up. We're just going to give up. It's going to give up on life. Or number two, we're going to decide that there's no use trying. We're not going to try anymore. It sounds tempting, but I declare to you today, there is a better way. There is a better way. So what do you do when you don't know what to do? I want to talk about living with a sense of purpose. Everybody say that word with me. Say purpose. I didn't say porpoise. I didn't say go live with the porpoises. I said purpose. And having this attitude. Here's the attitude I want you to have. I may not be an important person to some, but I have an important job to do for all. Psychiatrist Viktor Frankl knows from experience how desperate you can feel when circumstances beyond your control take over your life. During World War II, he was arrested and placed in a German concentration camp. And his wife was taken away and all of his possessions were seized. And he was, he was thrown in a cell. And in the process of enduring an unspeakable horror in this death camp, he developed an approach to life that has helped many people who struggle in the midst of tragedy. And one of his great statements that he said was simply this, it's not what happens to you that matters. It's how you react on the inside to it that really matters. And he wrote a book called Man's Search for Meaning. And he tells a story in that book, Man's Search for Meaning, about an elderly man who had struggled with severe depression since the death of his wife. He had loved her above all else and he missed her terribly. And Frankel said to the man when he came into him, he said, what would have happened if you had died first, sir, and your wife had survived you? And the man said, oh, doctor, for her, this would have been terrible. She would have suffered so much. And Dr. Frankel then said, but that suffering has been spared her. And it was you who spared her that suffering. And at the price of her death that you now have to mourn because she has passed away. The man left Frankel's office that day changed. His situation wasn't changed. He was still alone and his wife was still gone. But his attitude toward his situation had changed. Because he realized that there was purpose in his life. I declare to this congregation that your attitude is your most powerful weapon in this world. Your attitude is the most powerful weapon in this world. Hard work. If you put a hard work as the numbers in the alphabet, like, like, like an A is 1 and a B is 2 and a C is 3, and go all the way to Z, which is 26, and you spell out hard work, you'll get 98 points. But if you put attitude in there and you put all the letters where they represent, attitude brings 100%. You can have hard work until you hard work until you can't do any more with hard work. But the moment you change your attitude about life is 100% of everything that God wants in your life. And I declare with all that's in me that God wants to give you the right attitude and the proper attitude toward life. Come on, let's clap our hands and rejoice. There may be times when an attitude is the only resource you have. And if you let it, it can help you through anything that life sends your way. From the book of Isaiah, there are three promises, and I want to preach those three promises today. I want to preach them.
that will strengthen your attitude when circumstances overwhelm you. You might want to write these down. First of all, you need to remember you belong to God. Everybody say, I remember. I belong to God. Isaiah 43 says in verse 1, God who created you. Listen to this. It was God who formed you. Fear not. It was God who redeemed you. And it is God who calls you by name. How many things he has to do to you. You are mine. He created you. He formed you. He redeemed you. He calls you by name. And he says you're mine and you're not dating anybody else. You belong to God. You belong to the I am. Jesus came to the world and died for your sins. You belong to God and he takes it seriously. He gave himself so you could be his. Wow. I put in my notes. Wow. And I put it in red. I'm going to put this on the screen. You might want to write this down or take a picture of this and put it on your refrigerator. Don't make the mistake of thinking that God's commitment to you is only as strong as your commitment to him. You may fail from time to time. You may have a hard time keeping your promises. Someday your heart may be cold and some days your faith may be weak. But here's the good news. God doesn't change his mind about us as we change our mind about him. Can I just rear back and preach a little bit right now? God don't never change in his thought pattern toward us because he created us in his image. And he doesn't want his image to be on the side of the road not running. He wants us all to be running the race. He loves you. He made you. Then he died for you. He's coming back for you. And he wants you to be in the race of life and win. Hallelujah. Hallelujah. As far as God is concerned, you belong to him and nothing will change that. 2 Timothy chapter 2 Verse 13 said, if we believe not, he still abides faithful. He cannot deny himself. Some of you guys ever have a girlfriend in school that she didn't even know you. She is your girlfriend and you liked her and she didn't know it. I had about 15 of them. And when I saw them at my class reunion not long ago, I wouldn't like them now. That's a fact. That's a fact. But I used to I, I used to say, "Wow. That Barbara Rogers, ooh, Lord. If I could just get a date with her." Well, you got to ask, son, and I would never ask. I never would ask. I didn't have the courage to ask. And there was a young lady there that had grown old like me. She came up to me and I said, I know who you are. You're Annette. She said, yeah. And I said, we had a date one night. She said, yeah, I had to ask you out. And that's true. And my wife met her. My wife said, you dated that? (laughs) And then there were some girls, you know, you just thought, oh, I don't have a chance. Have you ever thought of your heavenly father thinking like that? That he loves you. He loves you so much. And he wished he could do something to get your attention. And he wished he could do something to get you on his team and to get you in his kingdom. And he just thinks about you all the time. I used to lay down at night and say, wow, tomorrow I'm going to do it. I'm going to ask her out tomorrow. I'm going to ask her out. And I'd run by and say, hey, how you doing? 
And God's not like that. But how many times do you think God has thought about you and reached for you and said, I want you to come into my kingdom because you belong to me. You are mine. And I want somebody in this house to say, yes, yes, yes. Because when you get that relationship with him and you understand you belong to him, it makes the hard times a whole lot easier in your life. Not long ago, we had a football game up in Dallas and the Longhorns played the Sooners. Oh, I'm going to preach. I don't get to brag on this often. But guess who won? The other Sunday, some Aggie kids were coming up on the porch. And I told them, I said, you know what a, you know what a transition, you know what a, uh, what do you call those things? Transformer. You know what a transformer is, kids? I said, look here, gig them. Now watch it transform. <laughs> they walked on by and said, get out, get out of here. But we beat the Sooners up there the other day. Like to let them win, but we beat them. But sometimes the game extends beyond the playing field up there in Dallas. And one year a fight broke out in the stands and a handful of men were arrested and taken downtown. And I hope none of you were in that crowd and were forced to pay $250 bail. And there was one fan that didn't have any bail money. All he had on him was his driver's license and a Neiman Marcus credit card. That's true. He showed it to the judge, and the judge said, Son, you can't pay bail with a Neiman Marcus credit card. You're going to spend a weekend in jail. When the man got to make his phone call, he called the Neiman Marcus store and told him his story. True story. And the request was made, was, made its way all the way up the company ladder. Until it finally, the Neiman Marcus vice president said, this man is one of our customers and we're going to help him out. And they paid his bail and charged it to his account. (laughs) True story. Now, I'm not saying that this story is a perfect parallel to your spiritual life. But it illustrates the loyalty of this retailer has to its customers. God's loyalty is so much greater than Neiman Marcus's loyalty. So much greater than anything you could have in this life. When he said, I love you and you are mine and I formed you and I made you and I redeemed you and I named you. He loves you and you are his. I'll never leave you, he says. You belong to him and when things get out of control, remember he doesn't turn his back on you. Some folks do, but not Jesus. I was reading just this week about the young man back in the 90s, and I think his name was Michael Fay, I think, that got caned over there. He did some kind of, had got some kind of trouble, and he got, he got a caning. He got sentenced to a caning. And President Bill Clinton was our president at the time. It's 1994. I won't speculate whether the kid was guilty or whether he was innocent or whether or not the punishment was appropriate. That's not the point. But the story made front page of America, the news of America. And our president appealed to Singapore citizens for leniency for one reason. He said, this kid is an American citizen. And he belongs to us. He doesn't belong to you. And we got the kid back. He learned his lesson and we got him back, which was a great, great tribute to a president. Remember, 
that you belong to God. And he doesn't turn his back on his own. And when circumstances happen beyond your control, he doesn't say, well, you're finally getting what you deserve. God doesn't do that. Instead, he says, you belong to me. You belong to me. You belong to me. Do you feel that presence of God right now saying, hey, you belong to me. I'm yours and you're mine. Come on now. Come on. Let's just get together and have a great day today. Let's get together and have a great time. Hallelujah. What a joy to know Jesus loves us enough to reach and grab a hold of. The second thing that Isaiah talks about, he says, remember, not only do you belong to him, he protects you every step of the way. There's nobody takes care of us like Jesus. In August of 1955, over a period of just a few days, 12 inches of rain fell in a, in a city called Putnam, Connecticut, kind of like what Austin has gone through. And nearby was the Quinnebog River, which was contained at the time by old earth and stone dams. And the rain was too much for the dams. One by one, they'd burst, and the tons of water came crashing down through the city of Putnam at the speeds of 25 to 30 miles an hour. And bridges and roads were destroyed along one-fourth of the town's businesses and homes. And the water poured into the warehouse stocked with barrels of magnesium. If you're a scientist, you know when magnesium comes in in contact with water, something's going to happen. It ignited. And the fire department and the rest of the town watched helplessly as barrels exploded, shooting some of them 200 feet in the air. The flaming bombs landed on building, and throughout the community, the fire spread throughout the town. It was truly a total disaster. The cost of the damage ran to the tens of millions, and it took years to rebuild. But in spite of all the damage done to this tiny New England town, not one single person died during the storm. Putnam, Connecticut was consumed with fire and flood, yet everyone was saved. Notice what God said through his prophet Isaiah in 43 and 2. When you pass through the waters, I'm going to be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you walk through the fire, you will not be burned. And the flames will not set you ablaze. And then in verse 5, he said, do not be afraid, for I am with you. Notice as Isaiah didn't say, promise you will be saved from the fire and flood. But he promised that you'll be protected in the middle of the fire and in the middle of the flood. Hear me right now. Don't worry about the circumstances that come to your life. God's going to take care of his kids in the middle of all the circumstances of your life. Lord, I want to help you. What to do when you don't know what to do. You'll experience circumstances beyond your control, but God will protect you and help you through them. Some people interpret the fire and flood as evidence that God has deserted them. Don't you believe that? The fires and the floods that's happened to our town, the floods that's happened to Austin, Texas, are evidence that we're only human. Everyone has problems. Jesus said in Matthew 5, the rain falls on the just and it falls on the unjust. And we all experience adversity at some time in our life. But remember, God is not the source of your problem. He is the solution to your problem. Amen. Come on. He doesn't create a misery in your life. He helps you through the misery. And sometimes we forget that. One of my favorite scriptures is James chapter 1 verse 13. I'm using a lot of scripture tonight. Let no man say when he's tempted, I'm tempted of God. For God cannot be tempted with evil. Neither tempteth he any man. Everybody say, when I'm tempted, it's not God doing the tempting. 
Amen? Man that's drawn away of his own lust is enticed. It's your own lust that caused you to be enticed. But no man can say when he's tempted, he's tempted of God. No man can say that. God's not up there trying to make you be brave. He doesn't want to do that. But with every temptation, he'll provide a way of escape that you may be able to bear it. Victor Frankel's six-year-old daughter asked him, asked him once why he always referred to God as the good Lord. And he said to her, because he's good to us. Remember when you had the measles a few weeks ago, he said he helped you get over them. And his daughter said, yeah, Daddy, but don't forget he's the one who gave me the measles in the first place. And it may seem that way to a child, but we have a capacity to know better. God is not a crisis sender. He's a crisis helper. And he helps you through it. Did God create everything that exists? Yes. So let me ask you, does evil exist? Did God create evil? Don't answer that now. A university professor challenged his students with this question, did God create everything that exists? And the student bravely replied, yes, he did. And God created everything the professor asked, and the student said, yes, sir, he did. And the professor answered, if God created everything, then God created evil, and since evil exists, and according to the principles that our, that our works define who we are, then God is evil. And the student became quiet before such an answer. And the professor smiled and felt quite pleased with himself and boasted to the students that he had proved once more that the Christian faith was nothing more than a myth. But then another student raised his hand. May I ask a question, professor? Of course, replied the professor. And the student stood up and asked, Professor, does cold exist? What kind of question is that? Son, of course it exists. Have you never been cold? And the student in the class snickered at the young man's question. But the young man, being bold and brave and knowing the answer, said, In fact, sir, cold does not exist. According to the laws of physics, what we consider cold is in reality the absence of heat. Yeah. <laughs> Stay with me. You're going to love this. Every body or object is susceptible to study when it has or transmits energy. And heat is what makes a body or matter have or transmit energy. He said, sir, absolute zero is minus 459 degrees Fahrenheit. It's the total absence of heat. And all matter becomes inert and incapable of reaction at that temperature. Cold does not exist, sir. We have created this word to describe how we feel if we have no heat. And then the student continued, Professor, does darkness exist? And now the professor wasn't quite as quick to answer, but he responded, <laughs> of course it does. And the student replied, once again, you're wrong, sir. Darkness does not exist either. Darkness is in reality the absence of light. Lord, I love talking about this. He said, light we can study, but not darkness. In fact, we have, if, if we can use Newton's prism to break white light into many colors and study the various wavelengths of each color. You cannot, sir, measure darkness. A simple ray of light can break into a world of darkness and illuminate it. How can you know how dark a certain space is? You measure it by the amount of light present. Isn't that correct? Darkness is a term used by man to describe what happens when there is no light present. And finally, the young man asked the professor, Sir, does evil exist? And now truly uncertain, the professor responded, Of course, as I've already say, stated. We see it every day. 
It's in the daily examples of people's inhumanity to, uh, 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 example of man's inhumanity to man. And it's in the multitude of crime and violence everywhere in the world. These manifestations are nothing else but evil. To this the student replied, evil does not exist, sir. Or at least it does not exist unto itself. Evil is simply the absence of God. Stay with me. It is just like darkness and it's just like cold. It's a word that man has created to describe the absence of God. God did not create evil. Evil is a result of what happens when man does not have God's love present in his heart. It's like the cold that comes when there's no heat or the darkness that comes when there's no light. The professor sat down. And the young man, Albert Einstein, sat down too, a hero. There's some things you just don't need to attack, smart people. And there's one thing I know, that God created all that's good. Because every day when he got through, he said he saw that it was good and he called it. It was good. Hallelujah. And when he created us, it was better than good. It was better than good. It was really good. I want to declare something to this congregation. God is a good God. And he wants to take care of us. And he wants to protect us. And he loves us. And he's for you. And when you don't know what to do, you lean on that. You trust that. You believe in that. You give in to that. Because that's the God that made you. Let me hurry. I'm boring some people. They're leaving on me. Remember, number three, that nothing can keep you from reaching your potential. Nothing. Everybody say nothing. Can stop me from reaching my potential. You know how God measures our potential? He refers to you and me as this in verse 7 of, of, of Isaiah 43. Here's what he calls us. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory. That's how he refers to us. Everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory. Say everyone who is called by my name whom I created for my glory. That's what he calls you. The people that are called by my name, I've created for my glory. The people who are called by my name, I created for my glory. That's what he calls you. It's a long name. Three's good enough. Rexidale Johnson's enough. But this is what God calls us. Everyone who is called by my name, whom I created for my glory. I love that. That is your true potential. You have the ability, folks, to glorify God in your life. And our problem is that we often set our sights too low. We see our potential in terms of income, our career positions, and we work for a promotion. We work for a little recognition. We work for a little money, a little comfort, and God has so much more in store for us than just that. His plan is that we live the kind of life that shines a positive light on Jesus for all the world to see. Folks, it's not where you are in social activity. It's not where you are in education. It's not where you are in ethnicity. It's not any of those things. It's what you take from God. And turn it into glory for the kingdom of God. Because everybody that he touches and everybody that he protects and everybody that he says has potential has what he told you you have. And wherever you go and whatever circles you run in, you can be the light to that circle. And I believe with all my heart that God's children need to step up to the plate in this last hour and become what we are called to do and become what we're primed to do. And that's produced for him and be a glory for him in this world. Amen. Amen. To refer-
reflect his glory. Clap your hands real big, and I'm almost finished. Randy, if you'll help me. I followed a man's career in an NFL for, for most of his life. He died two years ago in a car tragedy outside of Claremore, Oklahoma. He was a boy that played at Tulsa, Tulsa University, was drafted by the New York Jets, a defensive tackle, defensive end. His name was Dennis Bird. And Dennis was a Christian boy. He was a Christian boy. And he thought that perhaps playing in the NFL would bring him the star, star status that he could use for the kingdom of the Lord. But something happened in 1992. Something took place. He and another lineman from the opposite direction were coming to sack a quarterback from Seattle. And the quarterback stepped forward and they collided and, and his neck was snapped. And Dennis Bird was paralyzed from his neck down. And when the tragedy struck, November 29, 1992, Dennis, when he woke up in the hospital, later wrote about waking up with a halo brace, not knowing where he was and not knowing why he couldn't move, not knowing what was happening. And suddenly he went from dreaming about making it to the Pro Bowl, perhaps a Super Bowl, Wayne, to hoping he could someday hold his daughter in his arms again, paralyzed. And from a worldly perspective, Dennis was no longer able to reach his potential. But in God's eyes, Dennis became more capable that day than what he was when he was sacking quarterbacks. For in God's eyes, Dennis all of a sudden became capable of giving God glory. And Dennis Bird, as the world watched, he told the media that Jesus was his source of comfort in the time of tragedy. And the doctors announced to the media that Dennis probably would never walk again and it would be years before they would even know. But Dennis told the media that God's, with God's help he'd walk again soon. And on opening day, 1993, less than a year later, after the tragic collisions, millions on television, and I was watching because I loved Dennis. I knew he was a Christian. He walked out in the middle of Meadowlands Stadium with the 75,000 fans. He walked by himself. It was without question the highlight of the entire season. I read recently that they retired his number and put him in the Hall of Fame. Only three have had their number retired up there in New York, that team. But here's the whole thing. What Dennis thought was going to be the end of his life became the place where God could use him to show forth his glory. And Dennis became the propagator and the man that turned so many lives around, standing there, having been paralyzed from his neck down and never able to play the game again and telling people all over the world how much Jesus meant to him now and how great God was to him now. And he loved God now more than he ever loved God in his life. He had things for himself before, but now it was all God-centered. What I want to tell you, folks, is it doesn't matter where you've come from or where you have walked out of. 
You can stand in front of anybody in this world with God who made you and God who protects you and God who gives you the strength to represent Him and say, to God be the glory for my life. To God be the glory for my life. It doesn't matter if you've come off of drugs or if you've been an alcoholic or if you've been somebody that's lived in the ruins of life. You can stand today in front of anybody and say, to God be the glory for the things that He's done in my life. What do you do when you don't know what to do? You just give God glory. You give Him glory. You give Him glory. Oh, hallelujah. 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 That financial setback that you are living in may prevent you from becoming rich. That illness may prevent you from doing work you love. And a tragedy may submarine some of your goals in life. But nothing can prevent you from reaching your true potential. You have the potential to glorify God. And that's all it's about anyhow. It means simply that you can show the world how good and how great God is. See, that's the difference between a Christian and a non-believer non-believer experiences tragedy versus a Christian experiencing tragedy and the non-believer is sidelined and their hopes are dashed and the purpose of their life may dwindle to nothing but as a child of God keep going knowing it's not the hand we are dealt that determines our ability to reach our potential it's our attitude in the process no matter what happens we can and we must and we will glorify God and that's what makes your life masterpiece first Peter said it in this you greatly rejoice though now for a little while you may have had to suffer grief and all kinds of trials these have come so that your faith may be proved genuine and may result in praise glory and honor when Jesus Christ is revealed I close today my, my, my sweet wife has a sweet mom Joyce Jones is just the epitome of the greatest mother-in-law a man could ever have. She's the epitome. If Patty and I got into it, she'd probably take my side. She's the epitome. She loves me. I'm her only one. I'm a one of a kind. I'm her only son-in-law. And I tell her that all the time. But not long ago, we realized that that mom was experiencing some memory lapse. She was slipping into a dementia state. Oh, she could recall things back a long time ago, but she couldn't remember what she had for breakfast and it was time to eat lunch. And it's gone from bad to worse and it's developing in now to Alzheimer's. And, and Patty and I cry about it. We really do. We talk about it. It's life. And I've seen so many people when they get into trials like that and tribulations like that, they lose, they lose their way, they lose their will, and they, they get angry at everything, and everything becomes an anger problem. And you know what I'm talking about. You can't deal with them, you can't talk to them. I will tell you this, getting old ain't for sissies. You gotta be a strong woman and a strong man to age in this world. But my mother-in-law, 
has the sweetest spirit, the sweetest heart. She just loves. And every time she talks to me, every time she talks to me, every time she comes up and hugs me when she hadn't seen me, she says, Rexy, I love you. Thank you for taking such good care of my daughter. That's all she ever says. And I told Patty, I said, Patty, I don't think she'll ever say anything else. She said, baby, that's all she knows to say. But you ask who is the, the glue in Grace Church in Humble. And they'll tell you Lady J. They even got her special tags, Lady JJ. It doesn't matter what's gripped her. She still has this glory to God coming out of her spirit. And I'm going to tell you, if a woman with Alzheimer's and dementia running rampant in her life can still smile and have glory coming out of her life, what's bothering you today? What is your problem today? What are you getting upset over? What are you blaming God for? It's not time to blame God. You asked for it. I gave it to you today. So what do I do when I don't know what to do? You understand who made you. You understand who protects you. And you understand why you were made and protected so you could bring glory to the King of kings and the Lord. Would you stand to your feet? I want the praise singers. They know, they know they're supposed to come, Brother Randy. The praise singers. I want the praise singers to come. I want us to stand up here just a little bit here. I want us to, we're going to sing a little bit here tonight. Everybody say, Pastor. I received the word. I received the word. And I thank you for coming on this, on this day. Thank you for coming. Thank you for coming. Last Sunday, our attendance started spiking. Started spiking again. People are getting home. What a joy to have folks coming home. And our third service, our third service and our second service were battling each other. Somebody said we can't have a third service. Oh, yeah, we can have a third service. They were battling one another. And we're going we're gonna, to we're gonna see the things of God in our church. Because he made us, protects us.